Amnesty or no amnesty? That is the question. Whether tis nobler in the minds of voters to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous headlines or to take arms against a CNN of troubles and by amnesty end them. Amnesty, amnesty. Amnesty, perchance more dreamers. Ah, there's the rub. For in that lawless pandering, more dreamers may come when we have shuffled off this constitutional order. That must give us pause. Two DACA illegal aliens, so-called dreamers, according to Democrats, have been arrested in separate incidents for human trafficking in my own sunny state of California. One arrest occurred last Wednesday when Tory Pines Beach resident called the cops for suspected trafficking. Borders agents found the driver, a 20-year-old dreamer, as well as two Mexican nationals when he was smuggling uh, them in his car. Another 22-year-old illegal alien, also a dreamer by Democrat lights, was arrested in Campo, California, also for charges related to human trafficking. California dreaming means you won't be safe as long as you're in LA. All of this comes as Democrats in Congress desperately try to ram through a bill to legalize on the low end 800,000 illegal aliens brought to the U.S. as children, but far more likely upwards of 3.6 million illegal aliens. We will analyze Democrat dreams of amnesty and electoral dominance point by point, lie by lie. Then Philip Wegman, Ariel Davidson, and Amber Athey join the panel of deplorables to discuss the State of the Union throughout history, the six Democrat State of the Union rebuttals this year, six, probably more by the time I finish this show, and Democrats' sacramental view of late-term abortion. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. So much to get to today. The trouble with euphemisms is that eventually reality catches up with them, and then you get the Chico Marx line, who you gonna believe, me or your own eyes, your own lion eyes. Democrats have labeled a massive group of illegal aliens dreamers, and they're only referring to illegal aliens brought to the United States when they were minors. No fault of their own, they say, their, their parents' fault. Uh, these are the people unconstitutionally protected by Barack Obama's DACA program. The trouble with DACA is that it only protects a certain group of illegal aliens brought to the U.S. as minors. It only protects those who were born after June 15, 1981, have lived in the U.S. continuously since June 15, 2007, and registered for the program between June 2012 and September 2017. Trouble is, that covers nowhere near all of the illegal aliens brought to the U.S. as children. Steny Hoyer, Democrats' uh, House Minority Whip, even admitted as much when he pointed out that the euphemism dreamer and the technical term DACA recipient are not a distinction without a difference. There's, there is a difference between those two things. Democrats want to pretend there aren't. Two weeks ago, USA Today gave the fuller story. The real number of illegal aliens brought over as children is around 3.6 million, four and a half times as many as Democrats admit in all of their legislative maneuvering. That is an estimated third of all illegal aliens in the U.S., and that doesn't count the millions of immediate family members who are already citizens. That's a convenient omission, since amnesty for the dreamers would be a dream come true for Democrats. According to Pew Research, Hispanics are five times as likely to identify with the Democrat Party as with the GOP. Even among registered voters, the trend holds. There are well over four times as many Hispanic voters registered with the Democrats as with Republicans. Even for Hispanics who don't identify with either party, they are two and a quarter times more likely to lean toward Democrats. 
Native-born Hispanics are 4.4 times as likely to identify with Democrats. Foreign-born Hispanics are 5.6 times as likely to identify with Democrats. And that includes Cubans who are Republicans, my favorite uh, group of immigrants, the Cubans, because they bring good cigars and culture and vote for Republicans. That even includes them in that number. Uh, Ronald Reagan used to say that Hispanics are Republicans, they just don't know it yet. That's because they work hard and go to church, two traits that are anathema to Democrats. He, he may have been right. Hispanics born in the U.S. are slightly less likely to identify with Democrats uh, as those who were born outside the U.S., but the data show it's still going to take a long time for Hispanic voters to realize that uh, they're Republicans. And if we're going to give amnesty to 3.6 million new likely Democrat voters, there may not be a Republican Party around by the time they do realize it. There are some interesting data among how party affiliation changes over time. So foreign-born Hispanics who've been here less than 10 years are just under three times as likely to identify Democrat, probably because they got here during Barack Obama's terrible administration and they realized his party has nothing to offer to the country other than division and envy. Uh, that number, though, jumps way up to 8.75 times as many Hispanics who've lived in the U.S. for 10 to 14 years identifying as Democrat, 8.75 times as likely. That number holds around 8.2 times as many Hispanics who've lived here 15 to 19 years identifying as Democrat. Then it drops back down a little bit to a still terrifying 5.4 times as many Hispanics who've lived in the U.S. for 20 years or more identifying as Democrats as those who identify as Republicans. Well over five times as many identifying as Democrats. Any way you slice it, Amnesty means electoral death for Republicans. Democrats uh, even admit as much. That's why they want it so bad. Earlier this month, a memo leaked from the Center for American Progress Action Fund explaining that amnesty for illegal aliens constitutes, quote, a critical component of the Democratic Party's future electoral success. That memo was co-authored by former Hillary Clinton communications director Jennifer Palmieri, and it was sent around to allies calling on Democrats to, quote, refuse to offer any votes for Republican spending bills that do not offer a fix for dreamers and instead appropriate funds to deport them. Barack Obama's former domestic policy director, Cecilia Munoz, insists, quote, the right policy is to be as generous as possible. We know the success of DACA. It's good for the country. And this has overwhelming support from around the country, from people on both sides of the aisle. There's no reason to limit who is eligible. Typically, for an Obama policy advisor, absolutely nothing she said is true. According to a late 2017 poll by Morning Consult and Political, Politico, <laughs> Politico, it's a fake news organization and I just pronounced their name wrong, so that's fake news of fake news. But according to Morning Consult and Politico, Politico leans left, by the way, but even according to them, just 29% of Americans say giving illegal aliens brought to the U.S. under the age of 18 uh, giving them amnesty should be a policy priority. Just 29%. 71% of Americans do not want amnesty. Incredibly, just 44% of Democrat voters say amnesty for DACA recipients should be a priority for Congress, to say nothing about the 2.8 million additional illegal aliens who would receive amnesty through any real DACA deal, any real deal that's on the table. That means that even the majority of Democrats oppose amnesty 
even for the Dreamers and the DACA and the people brought here as children. In recent years, the U.S. foreign-born population has also reached record highs, hitting 43.2 million in 2015. So anybody who tells you, we don't let immigrants in, we're not letting any immigrants in, we have a terrible policy on immigration, that isn't true. We are, we are at record highs. That number has steadily climbed since 1965 when famed drunk driver Ted Kennedy sponsored legislation replacing the national quota system with our currently incoherent immigration regime. Since that time, the number of immigrants living in the United States has more than quadrupled. Since that Kennedy law, Ted Kennedy, one of the worst politicians in American history, since his law, the number of immigrants living in the U.S. has more than quadrupled. Immigrants today account for 13.4% of the total U.S. population, triple the immigrant share of the U.S. population that we had in 1970. The only time the foreign-born percentage of the population was this high was in 1890, after a half-century period that gave us four and a half million Irish immigrants, including many wonderful families, including my wonderful family, and also the Kennedys. Lest our opposition to amnesty be considered excessively partisan, Remember that amnesty is a terrible idea on constitutional and humanitarian grounds as well. Barack Obama's executive amnesty, which kicked off this entire debate about the Dreamers, is unconstitutional. Any way you slice it, it's unconstitutional. The president does not have the authority to subvert democratically enacted immigration law. He doesn't have the authority to erase the national borders of the United States. And obviously, it goes without saying, he does not have the right to illegally fill the country with people who are exceedingly likely to vote for his own party. Now, as a matter of federal spending and taxpayer resources, we're told immigrants are great for the country. They might be great for the country, but on those grounds, not so. Immigrant-led households are far more likely than native-led households to receive welfare. According to a study by the Center for Immigration Studies, which advocates lower levels of immigration to the U.S., the majority of immigrant-led households receive at least one kind of welfare benefit, which could include any number of them because we have way too many uh, federal <laughs> welfare programs, but it could include Medicaid, food stamps, housing assistance, school lunches, on and on and on. That number drops to just 30% for households led by native-born Americans. The numbers increase for houses with children, but the comparison still holds. 76% of immigrant-led households with children receive welfare, compared with 52% of native-led households uh, with children. So you might say those numbers are far too high all around. Of course, that's a good argument for shrinking the government. Fortunately, the Trump administration is doing just that, but the trend still holds. Anybody who tells you otherwise, not telling the truth. How about on crime? We're told that uh, illegal aliens don't commit a lot of crime. Uh, th those numbers are not true. According to a study from the Crime Prevention Research Center by John R. Lott, just in Arizona alone, illegal aliens are 142% more likely to be convicted of a crime than other Arizonans. Of course, the act of crossing into a country illegally itself is a very serious crime that profoundly disrespects the target country. But even putting that one aside, illegal aliens also tend to commit more serious crimes here. They serve 10.5% longer sentences. Uh, they're more likely to be classified as dangerous. They are 45% more likely to be gang members than U.S. citizens, even adjusting for the fact that young people commit crime at higher rates, because that's what we're told. We're told, well, most of these people are young. Young people commit crime at higher rates. That's how you explain those statistics. But even controlling for that, 
uh, young illegal aliens commit crime at twice the rate of young U.S. citizens. Lott also notes that these numbers likely underestimate the share of crime committed by illegal aliens. The federal government notoriously is very opaque on releasing illegal alien crime numbers, but according to the GAO, there was a 40% and 25% increase, respectively, in criminal alien incarcerations in state jails and prisons between 2003 and 2009. Perhaps the most damning statistic of all actually comes from the other side. It comes from left-wing outlets Fusion and the Huffington Post. According to a Fusion investigation, 80% of women and girls crossing into the U.S. by way of Mexico are raped during the journey. 80%. Four out of five women and girls who cross via Mexico illegally into the U.S. are raped on their journey. That is up from a previous estimate of 60% given by Amnesty International. But Democrats don't care about that. They don't care about any of that. They care about one thing, and that's winning elections. And, they, and ironically, so egregiously, they demagogue us, and they call people who are conservative bigots and racists and meanies and whatever they call us, for pointing out uh, what is clearly in front of our face. A Democrat Senate Majority Leader, Senate Minority Leader, thank goodness, uh, Chuck Schumer, typifies Democrats' take on this issue. People who enter the United States without our permission are illegal aliens, and illegal aliens should not be treated the same as people who entered the U.S. legally. The president's decision to end DACA was heartless and it was brainless. When we use phrases like undocumented workers, we convey a message to the American people that their government is not serious about combating illegal immigration. Hundreds, hundreds of thousands of families will be ripped apart. Now, I know you might have been confused because you heard Chuck Schumer, the same guy, speaking on both of those uh, times. But that was old Chuck Schumer when it was politically advantageous to him to pretend that he didn't want to give amnesty to all of the illegal aliens. And then now he can be honest about his opinion and say, yes, we, we need to give amnesty because then we'll win all of the elections. Quite the turnaround. But then the possibility of finally wiping out the GOP entirely is a strong incentive to evolve on the issue. Country be damned. Let's get to our panel to see what they think about this. We have Philip Wegman. We have Ariel Davidson. We have Amber Athey. But look, I know you want to talk to all of these people. They're going to give excellent analysis of this issue. But first, we can't talk about that because we need to talk about sleep. Now, you know, I love to sleep. I need at least 18 hours a day just to maintain my beauty rest. I had to go the other night. Uh, yesterday, I was on Fox News at 2.15 in the morning or something like that. I couldn't get my requisite sleep and I was, I was dead. I was destroyed. I couldn't, sleep is very important. You, most people spend a third of their life sleeping. I spend it on at least two thirds. And uh, I've, I've moved around a lot. I've moved from uh, New York, Connecticut, California. I've hopped all around the country. Buying, buying a mattress is just awful. It is just a terrible experience. I've done it multiple times. Helix Sleep Helix Sleep makes it so much better. There are a ton of online mattress retailers popping up these days, and they all have a one-size-fits-all solution to a better sleep. Now, look, online is better than going into those stores. If you go into those stores, they you can never compare prices. They always have different names on. They're going to pounce on you. It's, it's really very hard to tell. But for the online mattresses, they, they just want to sell you the one product that they make. But one size does not always work. As I frequently point out, people, usually spouses, have different preferences for their beds. Some people, you know, for instance, I like a firmer mattress 
and uh, sweet little Elisa likes a mattress that I am not on. So couples have different decisions. A Helix Sleep offers something that doesn't exist anywhere else, a mattress personalized to your unique preferences and sleeping style that will not set you back thousands of dollars. So if you go to helixsleep.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, that's right, just like the last name of Jay-Z's wife, Knowles, take their simple two to three minute sleep quiz. They will build you a custom mattress that will be the best thing that you have ever slept on. I will not do anything in this world that takes more than three minutes. I, I just don't want to. I'm a millennial man. I got stuff to do and I have no attention span. Go there. They'll do it very, very quickly for you. Uh, for couples, they will personalize each side of the mattress if men you are like me and you prefer a firmer mattress and your wife prefers a mattress that you are not on. They, they probably could even figure that out. Everyone from GQ to Cosmo to the New York Times are all talking about Helix. Once you try it out, you will know why. Your custom mattress arrives direct to your door in a week. Shipping it is completely free, and you can try it for 100 nights risk-free. There's no risk at all, no reason not to do it. If you don't love it, they will pick it up and refund you. So what should you do? You should go to Helix sleep.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Right now, you will get $50 towards your custom mattress. That is my gift to you. $50. Don't say I never did anything for you. HelixSleep.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, for $50 off your order. HelixSleep.com slash Knowles. Okay, let's bring everybody on. Philip and Amber and Ariel, friends, countrymen, thank you for being here. Philip, the American people are against amnesty. But recent numbers show that even Democrats are now against amnesty, even for illegal aliens brought here under the age of 18. This was very shocking for me to read those numbers. Why has this shift occurred? Well, I think that there is a general support for finding a solution to the dreamer situation on both the left and the right side of the aisle since 2000, for crying out loud. Republicans and Democrats have said that they're going to do something about this. Uh, now President Trump has actually put forward a deal. He's asking for about $25 billion for border security, five more than what Chuck Schumer offered immediately before the shutdown. And he's offering uh, amnesty for about 1.8 million dreamers. So the question now is, you've got a president who campaigned on, on one single issue, which was uh, border security. Are, are Democrats going to take him up on this offer? Because, frankly, he's already getting pressure from, you know, from his flank from conservatives on this one. So I don't think Democrats will ever get a better deal than this. It, it is an, an incredible deal, and you're right. It, people, they always want a solution. We just want to do something. We want to fix it. But we also know when you, when you dig down into those numbers, even the majority of Democrats don't, don't support amnesty as a priority. Right. So right. Is, is there any, has there been a shift in public opinion that doesn't match the shift in the political negotiations that's going on? Well, as far as public opinion goes, I mean, it's pretty clear that this was the motivating issue for President Trump on the campaign trail. Uh, and, and you were talking a second ago about amnesty and, and how there are some negative opinions surrounding that policy. I think the reason why Republicans are willing to move forward with uh, amnesty for this 1.8 million dreamers is because they want an end to chain migration and also the visa lottery program as a result. Uh, they're thinking we can have this compromise if in the long term we can stop the right. flow. And so they've, they've put Democrats in a really difficult position. President Trump has got to deliver that message tonight. If they could end chain migration and build the wall and actually limit this even to 1.8 million, it's a, it's looking through the future. It's possibly okay. Their GOP could possibly weather that storm. But if it gets up to 3.6 million or something, if like in the eighties, they don't actually follow through on border security could be dicey. Ariel is the solution here just to not give them amnesty. Just that we not not deport them, not that we have to deport millions of people, but just not give them amnesty. Why can't we just do that? 
Well, I think you. I think what's going to happen is it's going to continue to be a political football. So if we don't address it, you know, at least when we have a Republican in office, which is our best possible scenario. So I look at this situation as sort of, you know, let's capitalize on the fact that we have a Republican in office because right. I guarantee if we have we do have a Democrat in office and they are the ones who address the Dreamer situation, it could be entirely different. Um, I think. There's also a level of cognitive dissonance taking place in the Democratic Party. You have this sort of, you know, they called, so when when this DACA deal was offered, you know, that there were still cries that this deal was racist. Um, and then you have, you know, this is a, this falls a long line of the Democrats sort of just poo-pooing anything that comes out of, um, anything that comes out of the GOP brainchild. So, you know, the tax reform was, even though people are getting $1,000 bonuses, you still had people on the left calling it crumbs. Um, you know, the 20, 20 week abortion ban, which a majority of Americans would have supported. You had um, people on the left, especially politicians on the left, calling it radical. So there's definitely some ways in which when you just asked Phil earlier about how, you know, how is the Overton window shifted? I do think there's some level of it. There's a dissonance between how far left the progressive element how far left the progressive element of the Democratic Party has gone and how far left the actual American population is. And I think we're going to start to see that increase, um, especially on deals when it comes to DACA. I mean, you had various senators grandstanding on it saying, this is my number one priority. How can your number one priority be illegal citizens and not the citizens you serve? So to me, that is completely reprehensible. And that's, that's pointing to a larger issue than the Democratic Party as a whole. Absolutely right. It's an amazing thing to go to your constituents and say the main thing that I'm concerned about is everybody but you. Everybody but you <laughs> ranks higher on my list of priorities than you do. Amber, nobody wants to deport people. That is an unpleasant business. It's kind of icky. It doesn't look good in the headlines. But this is our country we're talking about. This is our right to self-governance. And this is 3.6 million people. Is the responsible thing here to enforce our laws and just deport them like President Trump said at various points on the campaign trail? Well, look, the right or responsible thing to do isn't always popular. I mean, my number one choice wouldn't be to just deport millions of people. Um, not only is it not um, entirely feasible, but it's obviously not the nice thing to do. But when we're talking about border security and illegal immigration, we have to consider the consequences of our actions and the consequences of not enforcing our immigration laws. And a huge side effect of DACA was that in 2012, we had a humanitarian crisis on the border mm -hmm. where a bunch of young, unaccompanied minors were crossing, being left at the border, crossing the border on their own in incredibly dangerous situations, sometimes being sold into human trafficking, drug trafficking rings, or joining gangs. So we have to consider what exactly um, the side effects are when we grant amnesty to people who decided to cross the border in dangerous conditions and illegally. And so that's one of the things that I think President Trump should consider when he's making a deal with the Democrats. That's right. It's funny because there are so many hysterical news cycles, they seem to come every 24 hours, that we forget this major event that happened just a few years ago. Uh, absolutely right. Now, we have much more news to talk about. We have a lot, but I know what you're thinking right now. You're not thinking about DACA. You're not thinking about the Dreamers. You're thinking about my shave, my, my great shave that I get. Did you know how I get that great shave? I get it from Dollar Shave Club. These guys are so good. 
You've heard me talk about them frequently. It is the best razor I've ever owned. And I usually buy nice razors. I, I don't always cheap out on the little guys. I used to just do those little throwaways. Then I started I started to spend more money and all the refills and all that. You have to go to the pharmacy. I'm, I'm not going to do any of that anymore. I'm only going to do Dollar Shave Club. It is lovely. So they, very frequently I don't even use shave cream, but Dr. Carver's shave butter is just excellent. It feels really nice. It gives you a close shave. It's not quite a cream. It's not quite a gel. No, no self-respecting man is going to use a gel. It's the shave butter. Really good. Uh, I'm not going to give up my membership. Dollar Shave Club makes products for your hair, face, skin, shower, everything you need. They use only the finest premium ingredients and they deliver it directly to you. This is the key. I would go for months, if not years at a time, I'm not kidding, using the same razors because I didn't want to go out and buy any more at, you know, the drugstore or something. This, they send it right to you for a very, very low cost. You don't have to think about it. It just comes right to your door. That means no more annoying trips to the store, cruising up and down the aisles. Occasionally you go down that aisle that men aren't supposed to go down and you feel very awkward and you look around like people are looking at you. Uh, you don't, don't do any of that. Use Dollar Shave Club for all of this. Razors, body cleanser, hair gel, and look, a lot. we're talking about immigration. A lot of people in the U.S. are from European uh, descended families in Europe. They use things like the bidet. They, they're very, they're much more uh, cleanly in, in many ways than we are here. If you don't want to install a bidet in your house, but you still want that ever fresh, clean feeling, you can use a product to uh, make sure that you cleanse your own derriere. That comes from Dollar Shave Club. It's so, it's so embarrassing to talk about these things, but they're great products. Uh, they have you covered head to toe. So now is a great time to give Dollar Shave Club a try. You can get your first month of their best razor, their top-of-the-line razor, along with travel-sized versions of the shave butter, body cleanser, and that derriere transformation equipment, uh, that low-cost bidet, <laughs> for just $5. That is basically free. You have to go and get it right now. It's really good. It's the best, best razor I've ever used. All the other products are great, too. After that, replacement cartridges ship for just a few bucks a month. It is the DSC Starter Kit. Uh, get yours for just $5 exclusively at dollarshaveclub.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. That is a very important word in these political times, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. Dollarshaveclub.com slash covfefe. Marshall, what is it? dollarshaveclub.com slash covfefe. Go do it. Okay. And I got, oh my, you monster, Marshall. How could you cue this up? I, we're just about to get to the sacramental view of abortion that Democrats are taking and all of our thoughts on the State of the Union and the 500 million Democrat responses that they're going to have tonight. That's the exact number. But I'm sorry, if you're on Facebook and YouTube, you cannot uh, watch it. You've got to go over to dailywire.com. If you're already there, thank you very much. You keep the lights on. You keep Covfefe in my cup. You keep Dr. Carver shave butter on my face. Uh, if you haven't done that already, you go over there right now. It's $10 a month and $100 for an annual membership. You get me. You get the Andrew Klavan Show. You get the Ben Shapiro Show. You get the conversation. You get to ask questions during the conversation. Many can watch. Few can ask questions. Many are called. Few are chosen. I think I'm up next for the conversation, so go do it. Tonight, we're going to be doing the State of the Union. We're going to be uh, hosting. It'll be me, Ben, Drew, the, the Daily Wire God King, Jeremy Boring. We're going to have some special guests that we haven't announced yet. Uh, we're going to be smoking stogies and drinking too much and uh, having a great time looking at uh, President Kofefe and making fun of all the Democrats. So be sure to tune in for that. That's 5 to 9 p.m. Uh, on the West Coast, and that is 8 to midnight, I guess, on the East Coast. And it'll be a lot of fun and probably going to imbibe too much and it'll get a little rowdy. So go, go over there right now. But all, none of that matters. What really matters 
is this. The Leftist Tears Tumblr, you're going to need it tonight. There are going to be six Democrat responses to the State of the Union that we're, we're about to talk about. You're, you're gonna, it's going to be coming out of the walls. It's going to be coming out of the woodwork. Make sure you protect yourself and your family with the Leftist Tears Tumblr. The only uh, government-approved, FDA-approved vessel to store these, those radioactive leftist tears, hot or cold, always salty and delicious. Go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back. All right, panel. In other news, Democrats are thrilled that they have successfully blocked a law preventing late-term abortion on babies who can feel pain. Good job, Democrats. You should feel really proud of yourself, huh? Upon blocking this bill and sending untold scores of late-term pain-capable babies to certain death, Chuck Schumer high-fived fellow Democrat Heidi Heitkamp. Philip, according to a Marist poll from late 2017, the majority of American women support outlawing abortion in 99% of cases. Now, this doesn't have to do with how they identify pro-life or pro-choice kind of malleable euphemisms. When you get down to the brass tacks and the bones of abortion, the, the majority of women oppose virtually all abortions. Why are Democrat lawmakers so insistent on keeping late-term abortion legal? Well, because Democrats simply don't care about popular opinion when it comes to abortion. Their abortion orthodoxy is unbending, and they are going to make certain that the United States stays in the company of other nations which allow third trimester abortions, nations like North Korea and China. And this is this is really unfortunate because they often do this to their own political detriment. I mean, DNC chairman uh, Tom Perez found this out earlier in the summer. He was he was going across the country trying to do this soul-searching tour to get back in touch with, uh, you know, real America. And yeah, he I think he's still in, looking, in, by the way. I think the- that soul-searching <laughs> tour didn't turn up too much. <laughs> yeah, so, but he stops in uh, Nebraska, right? And he runs across this guy named Heath Mello, who is a pro-life Democrat who's running for mayor of Omaha because in order to be the mayor of Omaha, you have to be pro-life. He endorses him, and then 24 hours later, he's brought to his knees by Democratic donors who say that this is completely reprehensible. You have to be pro-choice to be Democrat. And even when it's to their own detriment, mm-hmm. they, they insist on following up with this. But I think that I think that the pro-life Democrat is actually going to make a comeback. And I think we saw this the other day with the Pain Capable Act. You had uh, Democrats like Joe Manchin of Indiana actually vote for the legislation because they know well, they're from states that uh, are deep red and that Trump won. And if they're going to make a pitch to religious or evangelical voters come November, you know, they need to be able to say that they're somewhat pro-life. So I think the, uh, the, the pro-life Democrat might be coming back. Uh, it, there's a very good shot. Joe Manchin, um, I'll, uh, I, I, you uh, said to Indiana, I think you went West Virginia. Oh, Joe Donnelly. Joe Donnelly. You're thinking Joe Donnelly. Donnelly but Joe Manchin, Manchin, I, I see how them, you get them confused them. because yeah. Joe Manchin is another one who's this, yeah. he's the last blue dog left in the country. And you, you wonder, are these guys going to go completely extinct or, or that in order to win elections, are Democrats going to have to come back and contravene their, their in fanatical orthodoxy a little bit? Ariel, will Democrat lawmakers have to answer for this come election time? Or will this not matter with their constituencies? Heitkamp is from North Dakota, which tilts in favor of abortion. You know, will there be any consequences for them? Or, as Philip predicts, will there be a return of the pro-life Democrat, or are they going the way to the dodo? Well, I think there will be consequences for individuals like, for instance, Doug Jones. So he was just as bad as we thought he was going to be, and he he voted in favor of um, not passing this ban. And so 
um, when he won the special election in Alabama, you know, there were lots of um, people on the right and the left who said, you know what, don't be hysterical about Doug Jones. He's not as bad as we think he is when it comes to abortion. He is just as bad as we thought he was going to be. Not to mention you have individuals like Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, both Republicans from Alaska and Maine, respectively, who both voted against the ban as well. Mm -hmm. um, and they've been a perpetual headache for the GOP in general, so that really didn't shock me, everything from Obamacare and whatnot. They've been tremendous a tremendous headache um, when it comes to voting. But in general, do I think we're going to see repercussions of this? Perhaps for individuals like Doug Jones, who are sort of a smaller revival, potentially, of the Southern Democrat, um, he will have to answer for it, because I don't think that was in line with at all what his constituents um, would have wanted in Alabama in particular. Um, it happens to be, you know, a, a very uh, pro-life heavy state, and I, I would, I applaud voters who respond to that, to those type of votes and say, you know what, we don't want those type of elected officials making that type of decision. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm cautious to say that there's going to be a revival of the Southern Democrat, um, but I, I, I just don't see it as being a much, as much of a priority for the left as it is for the right. And w Doug Jones is a good example because he only won that uh, election because of the gross incompetence of Republicans in that state, national Republicans, yeah, and guys like Luther Strange who didn't find these uh, sordid stories about uh, Roy Moore and try to push them, and Roy Moore who couldn't fight those stories. And uh, obviously Steve Bannon, you know, it was pilloried for losing Alabama for Republicans. But as a result now of, of that, uh, Doug Jones is gonna have to answer because Alabama hasn't, hasn't completely flipped overnight. The State of the Union is tonight, everybody. What began as a sober affair during which the president would uh, pre present remarks to Congress has now turned into a televised circus. Warren Harding was the first uh, president to broadcast the address on the radio. Truman was the first to be televised. Reagan began the practice of inviting special guests, military, law enforcement, that sort of thing. It worked so phenomenally well, everybody has copied him since, as is true of most of the Reagan administration. Uh, Barack Obama famously used to address, I uh, use the address rather to criticize the Supreme Court. While the Supreme Court could not do anything in response, they had to sit there like puppets other than the great hero, Sam Alito, who just shook his head and said no. <laughs> uh, Antonin Scalia famously boycotted the State of the Union because it is a frivolous parade. Amber, is it time to end this circus or is it good for the American people to see these remarks regardless of how silly they appear? I think circus is exactly the right word. Um, and you know, I've already heard so many liberal media pundits complaining that the State of the Union is going to be boring because President Trump is going to read a scripted speech. And I think it's really funny to finally have them admit that the way that Trump speaks from the heart and the way that he usually addresses um, his constituents is actually really not only entertaining, but um, just really gripping. So that's uh, been interesting to see on in Twitter and on uh, TV and the like. Now, the Democratic response, I think, is going to be the really interesting part of the State of the Union tonight because they have none other than a Kennedy um, delivering the response to Trump's State of the Union, proving that they learned absolutely nothing <laughs> from the 2016 election um, because they've chosen yet another establishment, um, you know, uh, ancestral well, what's, Democrat what's really amazing about this, response. too. What's amazing is that one of these responses to the State of the Union have never gone well the, for either party. They call it the curse of the State of the Union res response. And so who do they pick to break a curse? They pick a Kennedy. Because no, nobody knows how to break <laughs> curses quite like Kennedy's, isn't that right? Philip, politics is a major form of American entertainment. 
We elected the pioneer of reality TV to become the president himself. Does this obsession with politics as entertainment show that we've decayed as a culture, as C.S. Lewis might describe? Or is it good that Americans are so, we're so plugged into our political process? I'm sure the ratings are going to be through the roof. Well, you know, politics is definitely downstream from culture, and that's how President Trump floated into the Oval Office. He's fun to watch. I mean, if you go to a Trump rally, it's a rock concert because everyone is excited about what he's going to say, and everyone is kind of waiting for him to say something crazy. That's the way it is. Um, tonight, you know, I think there is a, a little bit of frustration that he's going to be on script. But last year during the joint address, uh, he got rave reviews. He was incredibly presidential, especially when he was talking to the widow of that Navy SEAL. Um, and I think that we'll probably see something similar. He's going to be plugging his past achievements and pitching um, reform on, on immigration. Uh, and I think he's got an opportunity to show that he's kind of the, the adult in the room when it comes to uh, you know making these deals, uh, because Democrats have just shut down the government. Uh, you know, quickly to, to bounce off what the last guest said. Um, yeah, Democrats definitely have multiple personality disorders, and choosing uh, Joe P. Kennedy the <laughs> third is just amazing. I mean, w what screams more American than an Ivy League blue-blooded um, trust fund baby? Just to, rich you know, Uncle Pennybags the eighth. That's going to be exactly. the next State of the Union response. <laughs> How could it not? Ariel, we have, we've got to go. We have run out of time, but do you have any final thoughts on this ridiculous circus tonight? Uh, well, Jay Koss from the Weekly Standard had a good quote. He said, the State of the Union is much too kingly for a republic. And I kind of, I, I err on that side when it comes to the State of the Union address. I think at one point, you know, it served a purpose for updating Congress and now it has become sort of a self-aggrandizing event on behalf of the president. That's so. sort of, it's like Burger Kingly. It isn't, there's nothing actually regal about it. It's so, uh, so I, I see the point. We are worshiping at the altar of the presidency in many ways when we watch it. But it, my, I, my problem isn't that uh, the affair is too monarchist or something. My affair, uh, my problem with it is it's so crass and vulgar. It's like, it sends shivers up my spine. Uh, well, yeah, I would have to agree with you on that, on that front. But I think that at this point, you know, it, it is entertainment. I side with Phil at this point, like, you know, bring it on. I'll pour a glass of wine. I'll sit and watch it and I'll be happy to do so. In for a penny, in for a pound. So goes the Republic. <laughs> Say la vie. Okay, panel, thank you all for being here. We have Philip Wegman. We have Ariel Davidson. And we have Amber Athey. That's it. That's our entire show. Be sure to tune in. We're going to be broadcasting within just a matter of hours. I'll probably start drinking about now. Uh, we're going to have, it'll be me, it'll be Ben, it'll be Drew, it'll be Daily Wire God King Jeremy Boring. The special, can I tell them? I can't tell. I can't tell you who the special guests are, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure you tune in. Uh, that's going to be starting just a few hours, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Do not miss it. It'll be on our Facebook, on our YouTube, on Daily Wire. Make sure to check it out there. Until tomorrow, folks, or I suppose until tonight, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I will see you soon. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Marshall Benson, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay, supervising producer Mathis Glover. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Overa. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018.